Hey there, Cove Church. It is so great to be with you today. Uh, it was in May of 1997. Air Force Captain Amy Svoboda was on a night training flight in her A-10 attack jet. She was actually dropping bombs over an Arizona desert training range. And it was after one of these bombing runs that witnesses saw her plane perform a steep bank, a turn, and then dive straight into the ground. It was a, a tragedy that at first had no explanation, but after further investigation, the truth became clear. It was amidst that blend of her night vision goggles and a full moon that the pilot became disoriented. So in her efforts to ascend to a higher altitude at full thrust, she actually drove the plane into the ground at 400 miles per hour. She didn't know she was flying upside down. She was the first Air Force fighter pilot who was a female to die in a crash. A tragedy that was created in the understanding that what we see around us is not necessarily the truth. And this is a tragedy that each of us faces every day. See, when you read the Gospels, when you hear Jesus talk, whether it's in things like the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount or in the passage that we look at today, I don't think we can avoid coming to the conclusion that Jesus is constantly trying to tell us that we are flying upside down. It's like in any movie when, when an alien lands on the planet and the alien always comes and says, I, I know you think the world is this way and this is how technology works, but this is how it is on our planet. And they say, when well, we can do these things with our technology and we can move stuff with our minds and we can fix stuff with our little glowing finger. We, we can do this because we're aliens. And in those movies, everyone always struggles to listen to them because their world is so foreign to our world. Yet, could we ever imagine a world more alien to our experience than God's world? Which is why we all struggle to live in its truth. That's why what Jesus says was that it feels like it's coming from an alien planet because next to God's world, our world is upside down. That's why some of what Jesus says is so outlandish to us. Because these are the truths of a better place. These are the truths of a lasting place and a place that all of us are invited to experience. So today, as we continue in our Lenten series, where we're giving up some things in the physical in order to gain some things in the spiritual, we will be reminded once again of just how important those kinds of choices are in our lives. Because we can so easily get stuck into thinking this life, this world is all that there is. And so we start to think I better get really good at, at its rules and at its ways. I've got to learn how to live in this world. And yet the truth is our world is upside down. And in every way that we try to, to conflate the ways of Jesus with the ways of this world, we run the risk of devastating outcomes. 
So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three seemingly crazy statements from Jesus that express three amazing kingdom truths. Statements that seem upside down to us in this world. But that's because they're right side up in God's world. So here's the first thing I'd point out. That in God's world, death bears fruit. John 12, starting verse 23. Let's read it together. Big voices go. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Like many of you, I have experienced death in my life. From the, the milestone death of my father when I was 30, uh, to grandparents, to teachers, to friends, pets, even mentors from afar. I've seen death as of you. And in all of those experiences, I, I never found myself feeling this great sense of fruitfulness in those moments. That, that really wasn't my primary emotion. I, I felt loss. I felt uncertainty. I felt pain. I felt grief. I even felt a longing for how things were before. But I don't ever recall feeling fruitful. In fact, I felt like something had been taken from me, not given. I felt like something had ended, not begun. And yet here, right there, is where our world is often upside down. We think that life can only come from life, but in God's kingdom, life can come from death, namely from a dying to self. This is the point of, of this whole season of Lent that we're walking through. It's that wilderness roads lead us to promised lands. It's that, that the cross leads to the resurrection. It's that the death that I experience, whether it's the loss of a loved one or the loss of a dream or the loss of that source of identity, all of those deaths can become life in Christ. They can bear lasting kingdom fruit. Now, why is that? It's because it is the things of this world that can actually become obstacles to God's world. That's the problem. That's why Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven, because often the stuff that is so important to us here is of no lasting value in eternity. It just rots away, and it actually can keep us from God. It's an obstacle. It reminds me of this story. There are these folks, they, they owned an old motel. We're constantly trying to keep it running and keep it working. So they had a plumber out there all the time. Toilets always getting clogged. And happened again, they invited the plumber out. And he's working on this clogged toilet. And he's using his regular equipment. He's not getting through. It's not helping. The, the clog is remaining. So he's like, I know, I'll, I'll go get my big, my big plumbing snake. You know, out of the truck, big one, you know, huge cable and claw on the end and big motor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of that clog. I'm going to make that happen. And so he puts it in there and he's, you know, working it through into the pipes. And he's like, okay, I think, I think that's the area. I'll just bump the clog. It'll just be out of there. But he's bumping it. And he's like, ah, it's not, 
It's not going. It's not working. And they're watching him. They're like, what are you going to do? He's like, I know. I'm just going to turn this thing on to full blast. I'm just going to drive it forward. I'm going to grab whatever that thing is. I'm going to pull it out. So they're like, okay, that's great. You should do that. So he does that, drive, moves it forward, turns it on full blast. Claw's going out there, grabs with the claw, and then he engages the claw and starts to pull it out. And the engine's just revving high. They can tell he's got something. You know, what's it going to be? Is it like a dead body? What's coming out? And it's coming out, and he's pulling, pulling this thing out. And out, finally, out of the toilet with a splash, comes a shower curtain. And they're like, wait a minute. It doesn't make any sense. The shower curtain's right there. I mean, it, it, they're in the bathroom, and there is the shower curtain. So where did this shower curtain come from? And it's then that they figured it out because they heard screams next door. The housekeeper was next door, and she was cleaning the bathroom. And as she was cleaning the bathroom, she saw this metal claw come up out of the toilet and spin around and finally grab the shower curtain and pull it down into the toilet all in front of her. She thought it was going to take her with it. She thought she was next. It was a bit of a shocking experience for her. All in hopes of dealing with an obstacle. And yet, they never found the real problem. You know, we go through a lot of work to remove obstacles between us and what we want to get to. Obstacles in our plumbing, not things in our way. But do we work as hard at removing obstacles between us and God? I don't know about you, but I've got obstacles. I've got places of selfishness in me, places of misplaced identity, places of insecurity, places I, I say to God, I, I know you'll take care of me, but I really think you need my help to do it right. <laughs> These are they're clogs, they're obstacles in the conduit of God's life in us. And they have to go. They have to die. Here's the problem. It's, it's often those less than God's best parts of me that in many ways are all I've known of myself. It's like they're my trusted companions, those parts of me that I know aren't God's best. It's like I had this friend, he had a t-shirt that was his favorite t-shirt. He would wear it all the time, and it had so many holes in it, and it had so many stains. It was like a biological weapon by the time I was around it. And basically, it was just strings with a collar, but he loved it. And he didn't love it because it was good, he didn't even love it because it functioned well as a shirt. As, as, as a shirt, it didn't. He loved it because it was familiar. The same can be true for us with the places in our lives where we have decided not to do it God's way. We keep them because we're afraid of who we would be without them. Because I don't know who I am without that thing in my life. And I've even seen this take place with people and they're drawn to another person, not because of a common grace, but because of a common pain. I've seen this in folks, you know, hey, we're both control freaks. Let's get married together. Oh, that works out super great. That's just no problems there. Nothing bad's going to happen there at all. They're drawn together because of the pain. It's so familiar. 
Yet just because we've allowed that thing to define us does not mean that God ever intended that thing to define us. And just because something has always been does not mean it must always be. So God says, would you let it die? Would you have the courage to give that all familiar way of life over to me? To actually trade it for kingdom life? And if you would, God's promise is that he will grow a fruit tree on that grave. He'll grow a fruit tree right in that place, right on that spot. So the question for us is what has to die today? Do you have to die to how you estimate your worth as a person? Is it image that you need to be seen as successful to everybody else? Is it judgment that, that it's important to you to put the people down around you so you can feel better? Is it all that work that you do for God because then he has a good reason to love you? All of it has to die because God has already defined our worth by paying for us with his life and he has defined his love by doing so before we ever loved him back. That's how the kingdom works. So what has to die in you? Because in God's world, death bears fruit. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. In God's world, lost equals found. John 12, verse 25. Let's read it. Big voices go. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So God's saying, if we would choose to lose our lives, then it becomes possible to actually find his. It's like the other day, Paula, <clears throat> my wife, was looking for her phone. And she was looking in all the usual places. Is it on the couch? Is it on the counter? Is it in the bathroom? Are you sitting on it? That's usually a question she gives to me. No, I'm not sitting on it. She looked in all the normal places, under the pillows, did the dog take it, all that stuff. She had to give up on her own abilities. And so she went to the phone designer's method of finding it, which is the, the find your phone app from the computer. You go to the computer, you put in your info, and the computer pings your phone with this really loud sound so you can track it down. It's, it's an amazing thing. She does so, and she hears the ping. And she's like, wow, my phone is really close. She does so again. Here's the ping. Wow, it's really, really close. She listened intently for its final location, and she finally discovered where was her phone? It was in her back pocket. <laughs> but see, she only discovered that when she moved from her ability to find it to the designer's ability to find it. That's when what was lost became found. The same is true for us, that we get to first admit, I am lost, and we get to go to our designer to then be found again. That we'd give up, that we'd let God show us what we can gain if we would dare to let go 
few months ago, I was taking some stuff out to the garage. I was just sort of picking up garbage I was finding in the house. Not like there was bags of garbage, but you know how you just go through the house and say, okay, that needs to go out, that needs to go out. And so I ended up with this little pile of stuff, a little little bit of garbage, some boxes. It was, it was sort of this, this stacked thing to go out to recycling and going to the garbage. And so I'm still picking up stuff. And, and the last thing I find is a, is a half-eaten little tub of yogurt. And so I just, it's open and it's just got half the yogurt in. So I put it right on top of this sort of stack of boxes that I have and, and, and stuff. And so I go out to the garage and I open the door of the garage and then to get to the, the side door, I have to kind of do this, this limbo thing across Paula's car underneath these shelves. And then at the same time, I'm opening the door to the outside. So I'm doing this whole thing with this box and it's right into the midst of that, that the top boxes all fall off and the yogurt falls on Paula's car, blap, and just sprays yogurt all over her hood. This was bothersome to me. And, and I surprised myself because what came out of me at that moment was a swear word, okay? <laughs> and it stood out to me, not because I think you're somehow like less godly if you use some spicy language, that's not it at all, but the typical me doesn't do a whole lot of swearing. Yet when that yogurt hit the hood and splattered all over it, out came this exasperated cry. In case you're wondering what it, what it was, it was dang it, but it was the real version of dang it. And so yes, I know I'm super edgy, so edgy, a lot of street credit here. I know that's what you're saying to yourself. But for me, it was different. It was a bit unusual. It was a bit out of character. And I found myself going, whoa, where did that come from? And ultimately, it pointed back to one thing. I was trying to carry too much. Kingdom life is not found in what we can carry. Kingdom life is found in what we can let go. It's found in the things we are willing to lose in order to make room for what God wants to give us. So what do you need to let go of today? Is it your false sense of security in your own abilities? Is it that facade you create to make sure others stay at a distance, they don't really get to know you? Is it that never-ending busyness that keeps you from even stopping to address the brokenness that's inside you? Is it the label that others have placed on you or that you have placed on yourself and yet God never put that label on you? Is it your misplaced source of identity? I mean, just take that one. I, I, I'm telling you that in my life, I have been both the flavor of the month and I've been yesterday's half-off clearance baked goods. I've been both in my life. And both identities have nothing to do with who God says I am. I have to let it go. So what do you need to let go of? What do you need to lose today? Don't wait. Lose it. Because in God's world, what is lost is found. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. In God's world, servants are friends. John 12, 26, we'll finish the passage. Big voices go. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now in this world that we know, it is much more common for servants to be far from their masters, isn't it? That, that employees keep a certain distance from their employers. It's just a professional distance. Now this isn't always the case, but certainly structurally in our culture, there is a difference between bosses and workers. Yet again, we see Jesus reminding us, this, this is another way you're flying upside down. He's saying, those who serve me, those who follow me, they will be where I am. They'll be close to me. Jesus is describing this, this, this closeness, this nearness, this intimacy that is offered only to his followers. Where in our world, bosses do boss things and they go on special trips and they have VIP passes into the special lounges and they go to first class and the employees go to coach or maybe into the luggage compartment. But bosses, they travel in different circles than the common employee. But in God's world, servants end up with the best seats because they end up right next to the Son of God. Jesus says, where I am, there my servant will also be. It is a seat of honor, as this passage points out. God's best seats are not given to those who have considered themselves more, but are instead given to those who have made themselves less. Begging the question, do I live out my faith as a servant of God or do I live out my faith as a servant of myself? Am I just a consumer of this vast menu of amazing appetizers and entrees and desserts that are offered to Christians in America? So many choices, so many things I could pick. Oh man, I can have my music and I can go on trips and it's all with Christians, it's so great. Or do I live as a servant of God which ultimately is expressed as being a servant to everyone. As Jesus told us through a parable in the book of Matthew, he said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If we serve others in Christ's name, we serve Christ. And it is the servants of Christ, the followers of Christ, who find themselves near to Christ, close to Christ. It makes sense, right? By definition, followers follow. <laughs> Have you ever seen a really well-trained dog? I mean, I don't see them very often, but I do. They are out there. I've seen them on TV and stuff. And it's amazing. You'll see these, these dogs. They're so well-trained. They're so devoted to their masters. Just like any move, they're just looking at them. And any move twitch the master makes, they're just, okay, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? You just tell me the thing. I'm going to do it. It's an amazing thing. I don't have those kinds of experiences with my dog at all. I mean, he's a good dog, but he's not that. Okay? If we let him loose in some field, he's like, wow, there's a lot of new smells out here. I'll see you later. And he's gone, right? He's just gone. And then what we have to do, we have to then follow him. 
We have to chase him. It's upside down. It's not supposed to work that way. Understand this. Too often we call ourselves followers of Christ, but we live in ways that ask Christ to follow us. Oh, Jesus, I'm doing my thing, but, but you can come. It'd be great if you want to ride along. Oh, yeah. Jesus, I got some stuff to sniff out over here, but I'll see you soon. You, you know, Jesus, I know this isn't exactly where you told me to go, but I just want to check it out, and then I'll come back to you later. For many, this idea of being a Christian ends with believing in Jesus instead of beginning with following Jesus. Will we get close? And this means everything because in God's kingdom, only servants are friends. So follow. I'll wrap up with this. You may not know what happens in, in our eyes. Amazing way God has designed the human body. But the lens of our eye actually casts an upside-down image onto our retina. And it's through this series of complicated processes that our brain actually reinterprets what we're seeing and sets it right side up. It's an incredible thing. And one just fun example of it is this image I'm going to show you right now. And as it says, all, all these plates are, are flipped upside down except one. But once you find that one, they will all flip right side up. I, I just want to give you some time to do this. Look at that. Find the one that's right side up and you'll watch them all change. It's crazy things. Some of you right now, you're like, whoa, it just happened. Whoa, my mind is blown. I know it's crazy, right? That's what's going on right now. Just giving you a little more moments. Some, some of us take a little while. Okay. Hope you see it now. If not, look it up on your own. It doesn't make you a bad person if it didn't work for you. It's okay. But it's just a great example. And it's the, the example is this, that God has built into us an ability to take what is upside down and turn it right side up. This gives us hope that God can do that very thing with every part of our lives, including navigating an upside-down world. Whether it is God turning death into fruit or lostness into foundness or servanthood into friendship, God wants to take what's upside-down and make it right. I know that I have in my life believe so many things that were, yeah, they were true in this world, but they were lies in God's kingdom. So today, all of us together, we can trust God to change that, to truly invite his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we would make that courageous choice, the result is ultimately that this upside-down world will finally turn right side up. Let's pray together.